Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the Middled that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up woman. This podcast is brought to you by Hush, layback style for rebel women. By the way, if you listen to this on a new app called Entail, E-N-T-A-L-E, you will be able to see pictures, shop links, and generally have a really relaxing magazine experience. Hi, I'm Annabelle, and I'm absolutely fine, but my skin has turned to parchment. And this morning I thought, hmm, it's a bit blotchy. I'll put on some moisturizer and some tinted moisturizer and some blusher and some bronzer and some highlighter and some concealer, and it will be fine. And it's not fine. It's about 10 times worse. I look a bit draggy and mm, a good 10 years older than I should. And it's not great for morale, but, you know, frankly, things were quite bad to begin with. Emily, how are you? Well, Annabelle, I'm absolutely fine, um, but I am ravenous. I'm so, I'm just starving all the time. And I think it is a hormonal response to the weather, the news, everything. Because um, all I just, all I want to do is eat. What do you want to eat? Anything. Right now, everything. Right now, all I can think about is biscuits. It's generally biscuits, to be fair. Well, we've got the right person with us. That's completely true, because today we are delighted to have Thomasina Myers with us. She's won MasterChef. She's presented cooking shows. She's written cookbooks. She founded the super successful Mexican restaurant chain Oaxaca, all with characteristically eccentric flair. To the untrained eye, she looks like your typical superwoman, but we harbour a suspicion that she's a bit more interesting than that. So how are you, Tommy? I am absolutely fine, but I had to pull another grey hair out of the back of my head this morning. And I'm just thinking, everyone tells me you shouldn't pull them out. But I'm thinking, if there's a stray one, why not? And then I went to my hairdresser on Saturday, and she was like, no, you absolutely must not pull them out, because then when you come to colour them, it's going to be tricky. And I'm like, really? Why does everyone say not to pull them out? I'm sure it's fine to pull them out. And also, my my skin definitely looked like parchment this morning, too. Have you ever pulled a grey chin hair out? They are not grey yet. When that happens, I will not be absolutely fine. And I then have plucked grey pubes. Yeah, Emily, Emily found a grey pube. Wow. And she just said, didn't you just say you sort of got a shock and then moved on with your life? Yeah, it's great. And now I look like slightly like I've got a sort of melon streak there. And I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm there for my melon streak. You know, when there's so much to be anxious about, I mean, you just see a grey hair and you think, oh, fuck, it's something else to fiddle with and get your hands on, you know. But, I mean, it doesn't really worry me. Does it worry you? It doesn't actually worry me. I mean, you know, the odd grey hair. When they start coming in waves, I will be worrying about something else. See, I went grey. I started going grey when I was 21. And so I, I am basically all white. And um, and so, so and, I think and all stri- white too. Yes, I'm all white, but I'm white. Exactly, <laughs> that, that's gonna work. <laughs> but when you get lots of when you get lots of grey hairs, you get lots of grey roots. I mean, grey. I think we've talked about this before. Grey hair is a beautiful thing, but grey roots make you look unhinged. I wouldn't mind going grey, full yeah. full full grey. That'd be really fun. Just I, properly I commit good. to it. Yeah, I think yeah, all or nothing. I would if I didn't have to go through the process. Well, you don't. You just go and get the whole thing dyed grey. Do you think? Yeah. Like some kind of wondrous... Like Sarah Harris, Amazing yeah. Vogue Girl. Or Ariana yes. Grande on the cover of Sweetener. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly that. Go on. Okay. No, 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 that's fine. I'm going to go all Ariana. <laughs> that's made me very happy. So what, what, what we talked about in our introduction, Tommy, you have the appearance of a superwoman. Uh-huh. How does it feel to have the appearance of a superwoman? Um, I definitely didn't feel like I had the appearance of a superwoman this morning when I wake up early to chaos at home. I had to get out for a photo shoot. I hate that early in the morning. Um, and I, I was no tired. one's got their shit together, have they? No, no one's got their shit together. I think, I, I weirdly think it's a weird thing to claim to be a superwoman because 
everyone really knows, unless they're kind of 16, that we aren't superwomen. Yeah. I mean, anyone our age knows that, that superwomen don't exist. There are some women who are more efficient, but, it, you know, probably in other areas of their life, you know. But I think with a job like yours, you have to ha- you have to sort of tread the, t- I would imagine, the very precarious tightrope between being creative and being efficient. Because presumably you're chucking loads of fabulous spicy ingredients around the room, designing the way new restaurants or new initiatives are going to look, and at the same time, focusing on the fucking bottom line. Because if that goes, it all goes. Yeah, well, I think that's the great thing about teams. And I, I think, you know, whoever is doing anything of any note probably has teams of people behind them. And it could be as simple as a PA two hours a week or in my case a lot more you know I have my guardian column I have someone who helps me cook it with me I've got Mm. my PA at work I've got even a personal PA to help me with my house admin I've got a great team of people at work to do all sorts of stuff so like the idea that one person creates an empire is crazy I thought that was really great the other day there was an interview with Sharon Horgan who said exactly what you said a lot of people got a lot of shame about that she said I outsource everything the cleaning the childcare everything so just so I can live and not lose my mind one of the things I am best at in life is delegation and I think it's a brilliant art and I I read a piece the other day about how the British have an issue with staff and I think um it, it's weird. An Why? issue as in a self-consciousness about it, a middle-class guilt about it. A middle-class guilt about about hiring people to help you handle your shit. And I just think there's absolutely no shame with it. I mean, if you produce more, create more jobs, make your family happier because someone else is helping you with your mountain of stuff you've got to get through, why not? What's wrong with it? And also, I think that as grown-up women, what you become quite good at is knowing where you begin and you end. Like, I know that I end this side of a spreadsheet. And I may have capabilities, but they don't go beyond this side of that spreadsheet. I think that the having it all kind of myth of the last sort of 20 years, that narrative, it it is basically, it feels like we've been told, all right, if you want to do it, you just got to do the lot of it. Having it all means doing it all. Exactly. Rather than saying, okay, I want to have it all. I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And so therefore for the bits that I can't do very well or the bits that I, the, the bits that I don't actually understand, I'm going to get someone else to do it. And to not be ashamed of it, I think is really important. Well, my personal PA is, is my wife. And, and the reason <laughs> she got the job is because I told a friend I needed a wife to help me with all the crap. And, um, and then this woman, you know, I interviewed and she said, just think of me like I'm your wife. And I was like, <laughs> you're, you're like, hired. <laughs> you're hired. You had me wife. Yeah. Here's a ring and a lifelong contract. Well, <laughs> yeah. I have to say the other day, this astounded me more than it astounded anybody else. I fixed the boiler using a YouTube video. So, I mean, I mean that's and, it's, so good. and I was thinking, you know, it's quite realizing you're not as hopeless as you think you are, as you believe you are, is quite a hopeful thing. Even standing in your nighty at five in the morning, sweating with a phone in one hand and water squirting out at you from a weird little knob at the other hand, which is what was happening. No wonder you look so badass in a boiler suit, lady. I'm wearing yeah. a boiler suit to be today. one. And yes. I think I look slightly violent. As in is my Tommy. Suit. <laughs> yes. no, um, but Tommy, so it sort of started for you with MasterChef, didn't it? Yes. So, yeah. I, and I know that before that, you'd had your, as we talk about publicly, you'd had your issues, your run-ins with anxiety. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting to me about that is you go, admitting you're kind of an anxious person, into something which is like crazy high pressure. Yeah. Like the, the Olympics with heat and knives. Yeah, the whole, or the whole kind of... Um the whole saying about that is if you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. So That's how did you go happened. from being a person who was very worried to being a person who was entering this crazy public, you know, pressurised arena? I just couldn't do anything else. I mean, I, it's not like I didn't try other things. But even at school, my friends would always say, Tommy, when you're in your restaurant, and I say, why would I want to run a restaurant? 
you know, they're hours on social, you never make any money, it's just, it's a bad idea. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just brush them off. But, you know, literally when I left university, I tried, you know, I did financial PR, I tried marketing, I did digital strategy. I mean, it went on and on. All the grown up stuff. I did so many things. I was a VAT consultant on my gap year. Oh my goodness. I mean, you know, I couldn't have tried harder to, to not be in the kitchen. But it turned out it was the only thing. I'm one of those people that if I'm not interested in what I'm doing, I zone out. I cannot pay any attention to stuff I don't care about. So, you know, I just can't do it. So so that was left with me. I had very few simple... I was in a catwalk show with Clarissa Dixon-White. She was modelling a barber coat. I was modelling a barber bikini. <laughs> I was miserable. And I said, Clarissa, please can you help me? And Did she, you say that while you were wearing the barber bikini? No, so it was backstage <laughs> and we were having our makeup done. And she said, well, w- what do you love doing? What's your passion in life? And I was like, well, cooking. That's why I'm talking to you. She was like, well, why aren't you cooking then? Like, literally, idiot. Why aren't you cooking? And she, you know, I went off to a cookery school right after that. So... So it was, it was the only thing, it's basically the only thing I can do in life. It's, was it soothing to you cooking as well? Did it, did it make you feel calmer in a funny kind of way, even though we're talking about knives and, you know, heat and fire and So cooking temper? makes me feel deeply rooted and happy. It's for me as a kind of meditation. Do you know, I obviously am nowhere near as good a cook as you, but I completely see that. I tell you why I find it. I find that I'm, you know, very anxious. My mind is very busy. And it's the one thing that I can do which lets my mind just roam free a little bit. Because I'm thinking, oh, just chop the onion. Oh, dropped a bit of the onion. Pick up the onion. Oh, where's the salt? And so it just at the end of a long day, it is very... And I don't like admitting that because I feel like I'm somehow selling out to perceptions about domesticity and where women belong but it does and I don't mean cooking for eight hungry people who are about to knock on the doorbell and my souffle is not rising I mean like making a stew on a Monday night no but that I think that it's you know weird that gender thing about cooking anyone should be able to enjoy getting in the kitchen whether there's a man or a woman and there is something very wonderful and meditative about it especially you know if you're greedy and you just like eating good food you know, generally it's better if you cook it yourself, generally. You know, not, not everyone is a great cook. But if you are interested in food and like it and you work at it a bit, you end up cooking better food than comes out of a box from, mm. a, from a shop. So then, so then it tastes better, it's definitely cheaper, uh, and it's fun to do it. And it does calm you down, you. and it's much, and it's much better, for, better for you. It's better for you. But however, I cannot believe that MasterChef would have been in any way helpful for your mental health. How did you end up on MasterChef? Well, that was that definitely was quite stressful. That's because you're alpha. Um, no, I, what, I just don't. I'm not sure I am alpha. Actually, I mean, I'm scatty and hopelessly disorganised. I think, you, you know, having gone to cooking school age 26 or something like that um and then i went and lived in mexico so i traveling around i did a charity cookbook i came back to london i was really broke i didn't know what i was doing in my life i knew i was working food but what what side of food and i saw this advert and it was just like someone literally a voice told me to you know fill out the application form i didn't tell anyone about it because frankly it was embarrassing because the advert said do you want to be the next jamie or nigella (laughs) i was just like uh so you know didn't tell anyone and then i just got the call up and you know i I don't don't even watch much television so it was a bit bizarre but you know that was it i just went on it and maybe it helped that you didn't watch much television i think maybe if you watch so much you might have self-monitored you might have thought oh where's the camera and how will this look whereas the cameras were terrifying i mean you know okay so you've got your i can't think of two things more stressful and and are there many cameras and are they zooming in and how does it work yeah they're basically three cameras they're zooming in and out of every single thing you do you cannot get away with anything 
and you're sitting there and your hands are shaking, you're so nervous, so you're kind of at risk of cutting your fingers off at any <laughs> given moment, um, which is where you, the blue stickers come in. If you watch the show closely, there are a lot of blue stickers, especially in the early phases when people are I noticed that it. the blue plasters. Why yes. are they blue? Um, so that you kind of don't lose them in food. It's right. a kind of, you know, health and, health and safety. Uh, so, uh, yeah, basically, frankly, terrifying. Also, when you're doing a show like that, I guess it's a bit like a singing show. You are cooking with your heart and soul. You are putting everything you've got out there. So it's a bit like being naked. And and so these cameras are basically watching you, filming you naked, showing everything you've got. And then when you do this catastrophic mistake, which I did a lot, in, in especially in the early rounds of MasterChef, I Are there any mistakes where you still think at three in the morning, I can't believe I did that? No, because, I mean, luckily, I mean, I did win, which kind of makes you feel happy. I've, <laughs> I've got worse shit to worry about at three o'clock in the morning, which I still do, obviously. Wake up we all did 20 years ago. I can't believe I said that. Yeah, so um, exactly. But um, no, but now, you know, I do remember I had this incredible beetroot. Um, I think it was beet. It was a plum. It was a plum sauce. It was bright pink, and I had this lovely pork. I cooked it beautifully, and I just didn't know what to do with it. So I ended up pouring this kind of pink, like smudge, all over this beautiful fillet of pork. Because I didn't really eat in restaurants in those days, so I just I really struggled in those early days of making the food look pretty, even though it tasted good. So um, yeah, I can remember John Chiray just looking at me <laughs> and like, what. <laughs> what is she doing? What that are they nice? Those guys. Are they nice? Those guys. They are actually. Do you know what? If they, if they, if they feel that you really care about food and you're doing it for the right reasons, they really support you. Yeah. And they, you know, you you can spot a fraud in in in, in any manner of life. And they knew that I was properly in it and um the real deal. caring about it so and also yeah. it was very much pre-bake-off wasn't it you know yeah. it was a sort of in a way it was a sort of oat bake-off it was it was it was it was highfalutin compared to what we used to know we're much more used to cooking shows now and this was how many years ago well this was we were the first round so it was were 12 you? years ago and oh we were goodness. we were on daytime tv we were kind of went off at five o'clock in the afternoon not peak time and i think you know we had three three million viewers when i did it compared to how many they have now like eight or something mm. so we were pretty kind of Cottage industry, yeah, yeah. Bake yeah. Off is now Bake Off is now a kind of like star making machine. Basically, yeah. you don't even have to win; you just have to be on, and immediately you have this so amazing social presence. And if you, if you, I think it's you. scarier now. I do think it's scarier now. I feel very lucky that I was so early on because there was no, there's no idea. Of you've got the badge, but you didn't have the kind of the, the baggage, the baggage, yeah, yeah. The badge without the baggage. Mm. Um, but also, presumably, it gave you a lot of self-confidence. Like, you know, once you'd done that, then this is where you were going to live. You were so you live said I had anxiety. I basically had full-on depression all the way from 16 to 26. I was battling with pretty major depression. Um, you know, I took drugs, all that kind of stuff. So, so then, at the same time, it, all the way through my 20s, I was you know, screwing up at every possible, you know, and I came from a academic school, as you know. So then all that time in your 20s of screwing up, not managing to do this, not managing that, and then watching your friends kind of forge ahead in their careers and thinking, is it me? Am I literally just so hopeless that I can't get anywhere? And then to go on that show, to do something you actually love doing, which you've, you know, I've cooked since I was six, it's something I've always loved doing. And then to have someone saying, do you know what? You are brilliant at this. It was like, you know, unbelievable. I still have you It's know, like tears a gift. My- no, I have to say, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. Because yeah. everyone's slightly crying. <laughs> because you feel... No, because, because we all you- know what it's like to feel less than and not good enough. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. hopeless and useless. Awful. And, and especially in your 20s, you know, when you when you should be ostensibly building the blocks to the to, to, to your life. And you've and, come and through happy. the structure. I mean, and you're happy. young. You're and having the time happy. of your life. Yeah. Exactly. I have to say, young and carefree <laughs> was not me. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think it's not, I don't think, yeah, no, me neither. And I still, I think it's only now, age 44, that I feel kind of slowly and masses of therapy later, unburnt, like peeling off all those kind of, Shackles. you know, yeah, exactly. That you kind of can dare to feel the joy and yeah. sort of be a without risk and that's fine yeah and part exactly of the fun. and try kind of you know new things that's what's so great about like cooking <laughs> <laughs> so it won't have cured you because life doesn't work that way but did it give you a solid foundation from which to proceed master chef yeah i mean i think i think um i'm really interested about happiness you know people talk a lot about happiness and how you achieve it you know they, we live in an angst ridden world you know with climate change and there's a lot of stuff that makes us feel anxious right now so I think people are obsessed with the idea of happiness. And, and for me, I, I, what really chimes with me is if you are in some way in charge of what you're doing and if you have a channel to being at all creative um, and whatever your creative outlet is um, and if you can do something also, it might not be the same thing, that is a bit meditative, that gives you a chance to clock out of the kind of crazy really fast world we live in now um, then that makes you happy so when I am chopping that onion or stirring my pot I, I feel really content and calm there might be you know when I then stop the recipe eat it and then get back in you know the hectic thing continues but for that moment and also the thing I, I love about cooking is that when you put, put that food in front of other people when you sit down with the people you care about your mates or your family eating food breaking bread with the people you love is the most joyous thing in the world i mean Particularly I love, when you've cooked it with love i mean it's just it, there's nothing beats it i mean sex is great dancing i love but eating food drinking wine with the people you love there's nothing that beats it so so that is just to do that as a profession is really i feel really lucky all the time and then on top of that i'm really interested in it because i am interested that three times a day you get a chance to make the world better by what you choose to eat, whether it's more vegetables or buying things more locally, you have the power to make the world better and reduce climate change and stuff like that. And I do care about that stuff. So I feel it's an empowering tool, getting people into cooking, cooking a bit more, choosing what you're buying, eating a few more vegetables, a bit less meat. That's how all of us collectively can work together in an enjoyable way, not a hankering, hit yourself over the stick, but let's eat some delicious vegetables and let's, but let's have fun with food and let's do it together. It feels like a, it feels like a, a place of good roots that it's, it's a it's a well, feeling it's like a place of unarguable positivity and togetherness isn't it and actually in this in this world as we all clutch our phones and panic about brexit and about the world ending those little pockets aren't that easy to find and it's so simple also it's not relying on an easy solution like a like a fast food solution or, or having a lot of money like or like fast fashion like or a all lot of these time. things exactly that, yeah. that 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 need a bit more considering exactly like sort of thinking about it i mean i really struggle with cooking i'm a, i'm a horrible cook she's not that and, bad you're better than you used to i'm be. better than i used to be but i've been uh, one of the things that um that i've definitely done over the last few years is really work on cooking at least three or four properly good meals that have been thought out etc a week and it has it's you know and sitting down exactly with everybody and and doing it and it, I think it's 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 a it's a brilliant communication tool as well as a kind of you know actual sort of nurturing physically and kind of mentally but again you know we, we're always beating ourselves over the head with stuff and I think that's completely right but but I always am so and my you know my last book home cook was all about 
it can be simple it doesn't have to spend out you don't have to spend hours you don't have to spend a fortune because the other thing the other side to cooking is the glossy food industry where mm. it's expensive ingredients that you can't eat that and you shouldn't eat that and and it, that's not no, what it should be about us. either it should be you know cheap ingredients can be delicious and you don't have to spend an hour by the way in the kitchen to do something you know a fried egg on some braised greens can taste brilliant and it doesn't have to take very long so I think it's really important also to not beat yourself up and you know we had a takeaway last night I got in late you know it's just like you've got to just give yourself a break too yeah, yeah. yeah and also if you don't have a takeaway every night if you have a takeaway as a treat it's delicious yes. right yeah. what did you have? Indian oh, oh. So you made the, you made the insane yet brilliant decision to go on MasterChef, and then you make the insane yet brilliant decision to open this restaurant that your school friends had been nagging you about. Yeah, I know that was. I mean, I do remember sitting on the uh, fire escape steps outside our first site in Chandos Place in Covent Garden, and just thinking, "What was I thinking?" I mean, honestly, what were you thinking? I just don't know. I mean, I just I think I think my natural my natural character means that I I say yes first and then think about things later I think that sounds fun that sounds like a good idea and then I just jump in and bait feet first my husband gets terrified anytime I have a brief lull in my life because he knows that's always <laughs> just before I take on some massive project <laughs> so I think that was what happened with Oaxaca but I had I did have this Mexican bug I had spent a year living in Mexico City and I was so convinced about how delicious the food was and so puzzled by the fact that no one seemed to know anything about it there was it. such snobbery here about Mexican <clears throat> food I know people who as a knee jerk reaction just go don't like it and they just think it's like a greasy old filth. filth. I mean filth. I had my and first Mexico City is some of the best food in the world. I had my first Mexican food, which isn't proper, it's Tex Mex, but on my honeymoon. So that was, you know, ten years ago. It's yeah. like, like twelve years ago. But isn't that I mean it, I had never tasted it before. It was sort of the only reason I really had had it because there was a restaurant down the other side of the Portobello Road called Santo that did lock-ins. Yeah, but they but they were relatively new. I mean, and they were that, great though. That was only maybe eight years ago. Yeah. God, they were so great. Yeah, yeah. But they, I mean, you know, they, they yeah. I mean, the bill was always enormous. Well, mezcal, great mezcal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you did so you did the first restaurant, and what was the uptake? Well, it was crazy. So we didn't really know what we we're doing. I had basically. Um, spent six months working with Sky at Pisham Nurseries after after MasterChef. Sky, uh, Sky Ginger. Ginger. Yeah, exactly. Um, who's a fantastic cook. So that was wonderful, but didn't give me that much experience of running a whole kitchen. And then my business partner had very little operational on the ground thing of running a restaurant. So the two of us together... So no one really knew anything about restaurants. We knew nothing. But you hope that the two of you put together would... This is what Annabelle and I think, that the two of us together add up to one fully functional human woman. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's very important never to go into business for someone who is good at the same things as you. Because yeah, that's just a disaster. Yeah, it's totally pointless. <laughs> You've got to like, make up for all your fast efficiencies with your business partner. So um, I think so, in life, generally, yes. there's always twin with someone who can't do what you could do. Because then you're always so. Also, it's brilliant because you're so impressed with yeah. what you spend your whole life telling each other how brilliant, how brilliant they are. They are. Yes, you know. yeah, exactly, exactly. So we, um, yeah, we got together. That it in those days, it was a recession, but it's before all this really cool. It was before the whole wave of um, street food. restaurants and street food happened. It was nine. It was 2016 when we first had a conversation. 2016. And, sorry, 2006. So you were doing street food, but in a restaurant environment. Yeah, we were, I think, and I think we were, you know, we were quite, we were quite, in, I don't think many people were doing that then, but for me, I'd always want to do street food, because whenever you travel anywhere that's got great food, the best food is always on the streets. Street food is so exciting, and I, but it was before it had really happened. Because yeah, it can London. be so nimble, because you're not worrying about 
covers and I don't know all the stuff that you worry about much else I don't know what do anyway you... it, 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 it's great and, and you know the even the really fancy restaurants in Mexico City all their inspiration comes from the street and I you know so it was something we wanted to do um, we didn't know what we were doing though we had this vast restaurant which was the we spent a year looking for a site and the first site we could afford happened to be a vast kind of cavernous cellar in Covent Garden that used to be a really kind of um, dodgy Irish pub and it was so big that we basically shut half of it off because we didn't know how we were going to cope. And we lied to everyone about when we were going to open because we knew basically we had no idea what we were doing. Our general average age of our whole company was kind of 25 or something. I was the oldest. And then, um, and, and you know, we just opened our doors. And it was great before um, my best mate from school decided to bring a journalist with her when she came for one of the soft launching, thinking it was helping. And he then wrote an article about us and let the cat out of the bag. And then we suddenly had this queue. And the queue was insane. I mean, we had a queue then for two and a half years before we opened one round the corner because because there was no Mexican food and people really liked it. But people were queuing even though we couldn't get our shit together. So they would queue for an hour to put their name down on a list and then they'd queue more to get onto the table. And then the food was supposed to arrive quite quickly because it was supposed to be street food. They'd wait another hour and a half for the food to arrive. I literally don't know how people bared with us, but they did. And that was amazing. And, it, you know, working in an empty restaurant is very depressing. So working on that pass where we could see we could see the people queuing down the steps. It was really it was exciting. Trip. It was fun. What does that, so what does um, excitement and pressure like that do for someone who has got a history of anxiety and depression? You just, did you ride it? Well, so I, so in, in, the, in the time between discovering food and then thing, I, I, think, I think I'm very good at self-medicating now. I think I know my moods really well. You know, I spent I spent a lot of my twenties trying to work out how to get better. I exercise a lot, although not really because I've been ill. But I bicycle around London. Um, I I you know friends, family, doing something you love. All of that stuff is replenishing. And I just I think I'm quite good at knowing when I'm overdoing it or getting overtired. So, and I think doing the stuff you love helps you with all that. And there is something about working in a kitchen. And I haven't been doing it. You know, I didn't do it for for that long like working that past it was about a year um before we opened more sites and i just had to get out but um and it is different because there's a high level of depression among chefs and i do think working 100 hour weeks is not healthy for anyone um it is difficult with restaurants now because the rates in london are crazy the rents are extortionate landlords need to wake up um the living wage i mean there are so many things brexit cost of goods running restaurants these days you wouldn't go into it if you wanted to make any money and I think at some stage you know chef salaries and stuff it's just there's something broken about the model but it's also so creative and you're sitting there it's like a reasoning it's a reasoning quiz that you do at school working out you know if you've got six plates of this you've got to get those out and then four plates of that and then look you've got more tickets there's something really fun about working out how you're going to get the plates out and then the creativity of making the food taste good so it's a really fun it's a really fun thing working in a kitchen. I really loved it. Um, and actually, the thing I wish most is I'd done it sooner, done it earlier, rather than spend that you know, decade trying to be a VAT consultant. Yeah, and feeling terrible about yourself and yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, I, I'm terrible at spotting my, my warning signs still. Um, and uh, and you know, I, I, I would like to, 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 to be confident and think oh god I can do it I can you know oh no I'm a bit overtired I'm a bit I frazzled. can spot your warning signs I know you're very good you say get thee to the therapist or I and then you, you don't 
and then two weeks later we have a problem and then you do yeah but I've started and this is just new so I probably by the time the next episode comes out I won't be doing it anymore but I've started night running which I really love so I hate running and I hate you know kind you of you make it sound like you're one of those what are they called like free runners who jump off buildings that's how I feel yeah. inside that's yeah. how I feel it's exactly how I feel I put, have this sort of like hoodie I look dangerous I have yeah. gloves and I and I mean they're just like cashmere like fingerless gloves but I feel like when I put them on with my sort of jazzy yeah, cat leggings, burglar yeah exactly and I'm you know and I run and, and it's dark and I'm listening to kind of Cardi B and I'm thinking yeah I'm gonna you know um, Invincible. Yeah, and it's brilliant. And I only run twice around the park and then I feel exhausted. But in that time, I'm totally taken out away from myself and all that sort of anxiety, whatever. But also, I think the fear of running at night gives, a, gives it a kind of piquancy. And I, I, and it's a bit I, like being in a kitchen. Yeah, basically. Well, mm. it just, it's just a bit of chaos that you can sort of control. And I feel like that. Also serotonin. Yes, as well as serotonin. Yeah, don't anyway, underestimate the serotonin. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so hopefully, long may it last because I'm enjoying it. Great. Tell me. Can we go through your handbag? Yeah, sure. Now. Oh, I haven't added to my handbag. Oh. I'm much more interested in that, by the way. Well, the rucksack. My rucksack. Yes. Can look at my rucksack. God knows what's in my rucksack. I love your bag. That's the one we want. I mean, yeah, okay, so um, what we've got is a very late, like, I want to say APC, is it? Yeah, yeah. I've been coveting this bag. It's yeah. absolutely fab. We'll start with the with the, with the shoulder bag, where okay. we have the usual jailer's bunch of keys. Oh, yeah. Tiny little hairbrush, very ladylike. I do, yeah. You're a woman after I, my own part. You've really got four much. pens in your bag. I've probably got 12 in my bag. My mum gave me about five of those hairbrushes for Christmas. Like, as in, so that you can, I, I can leave them shop. different yeah. places. Yeah, so that it's you, quite good. Yeah. It's quite good. I mean, I don't even use any of this stuff. It's time to receive. So let's have a look. So Amazingly, I've got no Charles, oh, I do have Charles hairbands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, it's empty. I mean, look. What is that? That's a bike light. Ah, a single bike light. Yeah, I know. Probably doesn't um, work. Does it work? Oh, yeah. Which works. Which works. <laughs> I I'm interested myself. by the nail thing. Maybe this is from when you used to chop your fingers off. We have an emery board, which no, is so look, I mean, my and a nails, Sally Hansen Miracle Cure Strengthener. I mean, my nails are the the, the the death to me. I'm long for sophisticated hands, and um, and I just I just I find nails are just I find them so hard. Me too. I've got terrible cuticles. They're always sort of like. Also, you, also you get a manicure and then within two seconds of typing or, or cooking or whatever it's done and then, then you look kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. sort of... Vaseline rosy lips, which subscribes to my theory that our generation are all basically addicted to lip balm. I, that I love. I love that product because it gives you a lovely pink glow and mm. it's just so great. Um, a lovely pink, low-maintenance glow. Yeah. Because you're yeah. not big on makeup, are you? No, I know. I'm, I mean, I definitely wear more of it today than I ever did, but I no, in my yeah. 20s I didn't wear any. Crazy and also what I like out. about this Vaseline is it's clearly melted and reformed itself. Because <laughs> it's mean, moulded itself to one half of the tin. So it's, it's melted and then sort of thawed or whatever. I find Vaseline is like pens. I either have five in one pocket or none at all. And I'm like, how can I not find my Vaseline? So I'm holding a little canvas pouch, which I thought was a makeup bag, but I think it might be a wallet. Yeah, it is, I'm afraid. I did have a really Ooh. nice wallet. But then I found... I opened I found it, and all I can see, trove. it's receipts, it's cards, there's a rubber band, <laughs> there's fluff, there's hair clips, there's coins from many, many different currencies. It's heavy. It's I'm not going to go through the receipts because that that's no a little bit too intrusive. <laughs> it's amazing there's no There are stamps. low on snacks here. There are stamps, there are business cards. Mm. It's absolute blissful chaos on here. <laughs> I love this. Look, nice fountain pen. Ooh. Oh, letter writing. I like like I I used to you handwritten handwritten letters. So is Emily. She's very good at that. I do like writing a letter. I do too. I feel like it's um, I feel like it's important to just sit down and 
No glamorous makeup, sadly. I'm just not very good um, at that. Well, we've got a we've got a lip gloss, a lip gloss, a mother pucker lip gloss. I found that somewhere in a drawer. Soap and Glory. Yes. I feel like this is old. Yeah, it's so old. I found it somewhere. Basically, someone nicked my suitcase out of my car boot with all my makeup. It was I was away for two days on a cooking job. When was this? Um, about four months ago. Oh. And. I literally didn't know what to do. I just, all my lovely bits. And it was after, it was kind of quite nice makeup. Cause I, I, after I got married, I got a makeup lesson. I was like, wow, expensive makeup really is beautiful. So I, over time I collected this and now I've basically got back to ground zero. Um, are we allowed to look in your rucksack? Yeah, my rucksack's probably Cause much okay, better. We've gone, yeah, we've gone through the little lady light, but there's this big, like, yeah. y- now you look like a war correspondent carrying that. I am a bag lady. How come she, I you look, would look like a New Zealand person. You would look like a New look, Zealand person and I would look like a and Tommy m- does. murderess. She looks like an explorer yep, slash war correspondent. A lady adventurer. I'm, you, um, I'm, How many notebooks? I'm going to start. Uh, okay, so two notebooks. What are they for? Um, well, I try and make lists. And then I try and remember to read them. But what normally happens is um, I forget which notebook I've written in. Because look. <laughs> oh, three, three notebooks. <laughs> do people give you notebooks? Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Tommy would like that. It's got tacos on them. Yeah, that was Fantas- my work. taco oh, ideas. So I've got my cooking bandana. Oh, what's that? That's very piratey. That's why I wear when I'm in the kitchen. You know, without you, know. you look like the. We're gonna um, have to take a photograph you, you with your cooking bandana yeah, you because that like is that badass. Advert, that it's true. You look like that. The land the girl, land one girl one. with the muscles. Yeah, yeah, great, awesome. I like that look. Um, that. You've got an interesting looking apple. I want to say russet. Uh, yeah, that's a russet. Egremont, love it. I'm very into buying. I actually have a, a, a weakness for apples, and if I'm anywhere near a farm shop, I will buy a box of apples. Not just an apple. You've got a beautiful, I want to say jade, bangle. Yeah. Enormous jade bangle, which I want to steal. Which you would love. This makes me feel, I put it on, and I feel like I'm on holiday. And I never feel like I'm on holiday, even when I'm on holiday. I now feel like you're sort of the Indiana Jones, who's just come back from somewhere where they've found a treasure of jade jewellery. Well, I was actually in Dorset yesterday, so, you (laughs) know. There you go, Dorset. I look, there's a Tampax. Always. Looking a bit grubby. Probably dissolved and exploded. You don't want to look in that bit. It's covered in, like, ground nuts and, you know, I've got to say, just to bring in the children briefly, ground up food in the backs of all my bags generally is the case. Anything to keep them quiet. And what about the car? Oh, ooh. oh my god! I I don't know what to do about the car. We got it. We got our car clean the other day, and the guy said to my husband, he said, "I have been cleaning cars <laughs> for a long time. I have never, ever gone anywhere near anything so revolting in my entire <laughs> life." That made you feel a bit proud. <laughs> I think, I mean, at least you've got, like, exactly, it's not just a sort of bog-standard filthy car. I mean, our car is basically 90% crisps, or bits of crisps. Uh, yeah, well, you all love crisps. Yeah. Um, what else is in there? Just a laptop, some wires, um, this. I got given this. Okay, I'll give you a prize if you know what that is. Let me have a look. I thought it was a sexual toy or something. Oh, like, a like a moon cup or something. Or a moon cup. I have got some more food. Oh, I don't know what it is. Here, Emma, have a look. Um, oh, you've got a healthy muesli bar. Well, it's not healthy. It's full of sugar. But it's, is, it to put, is it to put something in so that it stays stable? It is actually um, uh, It is actually an ice cube. So there's another half of it. I only found that the oh, other day. Oh, for those wonderful sphere <laughs> ice cubes. Yeah, exactly. I'm very into giant ice cubes. Do you use those? Uh, really fun. Giant ice cube in a vodka and tonic or a glass of wine is bliss because they keep it cold, but because of the surface area, they don't melt, so they don't water it down. Yeah, so I'd like to say Johnny Walker gave me that. 
and it's it's great. Makes my whiskey. I've seen those on Instagram. I have a passion for ball shaped. I love ice that cubes. you've got half one in your in your rucksack. I mean, that might tell you a lot about me, which I <laughs> kind of don't want to reveal. <laughs> Just one half are. of a yeah. whole. <laughs> yeah. Are there any things that you um, sort of uh, mantras that you live by, or things you say to yourself if you're under pressure? Things that keep you going. Things that keep you in your lane. Um, I mean, exercise is very important. So my my uh, you know I'm a Labrador essentially. So without it I go a bit loopy. So if I'm feeling qu- if I'm starting to feel on the frazzle side, I know if I go for a swim or can get on my bike, then I, everything will be all right. And this is in no way about vanity for you, is it? No, it's no, no. It's just about no. moving. No, no, no. It's 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 the mood thing. Totally a mood thing. It's my head. My head starts. My head starts going at a different frequency if I haven't done exercise for a while, and it starts going. It's short-circuiting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So ju- that just keeps me... I always feel a bit nervous about um, revealing that in case I'm ever caught in a sh- you know, a hostage ca- situation and someone knows, how are we going to send her crazy? <laughs> we'll just deprive her of sleep and not let her take any exercise. That's such and a 3 And then they'll break me. such a 3 a.m. They would literally th- break me so quickly. Oh, m- mine would be denying me the loo. Oh. I would just be hopeless. It would just be awful. Isn't it funny how we catastrophize? I mean, if someone doesn't answer the phone... You know, that I think, you know, you know, say I was talking to someone the other day who said, um, oh, they're probably on a plane. I was like, they may be on a plane, they may be dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at some point, I suppose we will find out. Um, so, uh, Thomasina Myers, thank you so much for coming to see us. It's been a privilege. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Thanks, Thanks Tommy. Thanks, Anne. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Medult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. And we'll leave you with this reminder, no one has their shit together. Mm